I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Places, everyone. It's time for The, the Connor and Smith Show! Thank you, Places. You're welcome. Um, it's a stormy evening here. We've just had some excitement with some uh, tornado warnings coming through Arlington and the district. Um, hope everybody's okay up there, but when you're listening to this, it will have been already happened. So, anyway, today's guest is... Dana Rowe, composer of The Fix, Witches of Eastwick, Brother Russia, Blackbeard, Zombie Zombie Prom, and many others. Um, We were both uh, lucky enough to work with Dana on separate occasions, um, both separately and then once together. Um, And uh, we had a great chat with him, and we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with Dana Rowe. Hello. Hello. Hi, Dana. How are you? I'm well, Stephen. How you doing? I'm good. I'm sitting here with uh, somebody else you might know. Hey, hey, hey. Hi, Matt. How are you? Oh, who cares? <laughs> well, I do. I was my, wondering. <laughs> my gosh, what a crazy, crazy life we've been living. All of us. <laughs> right? I mean, come on. It's been... Uh... The whole world has gotten connected via Zoom and Jam Kazam and all the things, right? What's a Jam Kazam? Jam Kazam is uh, a pretty cool uh, online connector, audio connector, so that you can actually rehearse with people and collaborate with people, and it feels like you're in the same room. It's pretty neat. Jam Kazam. Jam Kazam. J-A-M-K-A-Z-A-M. And I... I am not an affiliate. <laughs> we well, I'm going to see if there'll be a sponsor of this podcast. Oh, there you go. So, so <laughs> you can rehearse. So we all know the Zoom does not work for the musical theater. Right. The latency on that is like ridiculous. Yeah. So there's no like delay in Jam Kazam. There, you know, it's it's very minimal, and if everyone is tethered via e- an Ethernet connection, yeah. Uh, and that's really the secret sauce is everyone has to be using a wired Ethernet connection. You can't use Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi by its very nature is uh, has a latency issue. So uh, it's fantastic for online and streaming and that sort of thing. But for anything like that, that's crucial about timing and being able to hear the audio well. Um, it, I almost said Zoom Kazoom instead of Jam Kazam. Um, that, that's a whole new thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Zoom Kazoo is uh well welcome. What to is Zoom Kazoo? Is that a thing, really? Uh, no, it's not. It's it, it, you just made it one. <laughs> welcome to Tech Talk. <laughs> so did Daniel think he was going to do a TED Talk it's but it's going to be a Tech Talk? Very well. <laughs> I I pity the people taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> so Dana, um we first met you um well I think Matt met you first uh because he was in the witches of eastwick at signature theater right. back in what 2007 2007 I was, I was a lead in the ensemble you were i, I played toby <laughs> i love it i love it every I'm night so, it makes me so happy eric you know? schaefer would say matt are you having a good time and I, I'd say, 
<laughs> Hell no, I have to like hook up a Broadway star to a harness every night. <laughs> oh, were you a, a hooker upper for the flying? Me? Yeah, me and Jeremy Benton were the were the hooker uppers, and every night we would just like sort of cross our, our hearts <laughs> and say, "Well, here we go." A silent prayer. What was the most exciting thing that happened when you were hooking up? Well, besides tapping Mark on the butt because that was the okay sign. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, one night, the only night, the one night he had a, a, a other plan to come back down. But one night the hook went in, but it did not lock. It was Boy. it was still yeah, open. Yeah. And then about a quarter of the way up, he oh, slipped no. out. Oh, no. And he had a code word. I forget what it was, but it was something that was uh, script uh, related that uh -huh. told the stage manager take me back down and the girls kept going up I think wow and uh oh gosh and of course I love Mark he's such a teddy bear he's fantastic. and then you know I felt like oh gosh um but yeah it was but a you almost killed him Matt <laughs> <laughs> I did yeah <laughs> No, I mean, it's I, the stories, the stories of over the years of uh, the flying stories have just been the best thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, um, wow. I used to love, I probably shouldn't tell this, should I? Yes, you should. <laughs> so I, during rehearsals, when we finally did a run through of the show, the overture was so exciting to the show. Oh, thanks. And so I started pantomiming like I was getting ready for the show and sort of putting pancake on my face and <laughs> curling my hair, whatever. And, and of course, I wasn't making fun of anything. I was just like, there, here I am being an actress, getting ready for the show. <laughs> well, that turned into a little bit of, of a bit. And Dana, I did it every night before the show. Even I started adding costumes before I walked on stage for the open number. <laughs> An actor prepares. And then uh, Emily Skinner would never really crack much because, you know, she was very focused on her part mm. and stuff. But finally, the closing night, she said, do you mind if I videotape this? Oh, I'm so glad. Is it somewhere I can and, see? And this? I said, if you, if you show this to anyone, you are ruined. <laughs> Now clearly she must not have <laughs> she must not have shown it to anybody. <laughs> yeah. She's she's got but a career that one. <laughs> that was such an amazing show with amazing people, amazing score, amazing story. Ah, um I loved that. the way Eric had the theater configured cuz it was very shallow but yet deep for them mm -hmm. to fly up. Mm -hmm. The thing I remember also was well it was a great a great cast. And and then the big old moon. I just loved mm -hmm. that big old moon. I don't know why that sort of took my breath away. There were a lot of, I, I was in the audience holding the program for that show. There was a lot of magic, a lot of sleight of mm -hmm. hand. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I remember, and I think I only got the chance to see it once, um, but the uh, I remember Mark kind of appearing out of nowhere through, through this sleight of hand kind of illusion that was really cool. I remember all of the planks of the fence that were like mm. around the dress circle, how they fell, um, which was terrifying and hysterical at the same time. Um, <laughs> remember Carla was in it. Carla Hamilton. Oh my gosh, what a voice. That was, she played Felicia? Is that yeah. what I'm thinking? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she looked and sounded the part. Mm. Well, she meant business when she walked on stage. She was taking names. Yeah, yeah. it was good. Yeah, that's that's where uh, 
you first kind of entered our world, of course, we knew who you were. What was the journey with witches? How did you all of a sudden pick up a a book based on a movie and and it's you know it's well that's uh really that's you know everybody has you know i like to think everybody has that magical story and that's sort of mine and john dempsey my collaborator on witches of eastwick and so many other shows we had just opened um i mean just the story of how witches came about we just opened an off-broadway show to terrible reviews <laughs> it's called zombie prom but the thing about that show is that show is the little show that went on and on and on. And it's still to this day is even in lockdown, it's being produced and streamed and the, all the, and, and so I, I felt so grateful about that show, which was just a, a delight and a labor of love and had such a sweet story. And then um, our general manager on zombie prom said, you know, I, I'm friends with Cameron McIntosh. If you guys ever have anything you want to show him, just let me know. <laughs> and we had just been writing a show called The Fix. At the time, it wasn't called The Fix. And we, uh, as soon as Zombie Prom closed, John and I both decided to move to uh, New York City. And we did. Because with the advance on Zombie Prom, we had, we had um, six months to live. I love saying that. It sounds so dramatic, you know. But basically, we figured out with the money that we got as, as an advance for the publication and licensing of Zombie Prom, uh, we could each get an apartment and live for six months and do something artistic. And so we decided to finish the fix. And uh, then we called up Albert, our general manager, to whom we will always be grateful and you know thankful, and said, Albert, were you serious about that, hooking us up with Cameron McIntosh? And he says, yes, darling, of course, you know. And so we arranged it uh, to get the demos to Cameron. And uh, our agent was was great. I, I loved our agent at the time, wonderful friend for going on 30 years now. Uh, he says, guys, just don't get to your hopes up too much. You know, this is Cameron McIntosh. And, and so we we sort of listened and and uh, but we sent it and and, and uh, it came to the agency. And then it, just about 10 days later, we got this call from our agent. And he says, you're never going to believe this. He says, but Cameron wants to produce it. And I said, no way. And he said, way. And that was it. And so we, I mean, you know, just it we became Beavis and Butthead. And, the, you know, what is it? What's his name? And Ted's Excellent Adventure. You know, you, you regress to your, you know, your base sort of like self when things like that happen. And um, so they produced it at the Donmore Warehouse. And then after that, we got terrible reviews. And you see, there's a pattern here. We got terrible reviews for The Fix in London. And Cameron took us to lunch the next day and he said okay boys what do you write next whatever you write i'll produce oh wow and that was how that all sort of came about and and he says warner brother just sent me a list why don't you take a look at the list and see what you'd be interested in musicalizing and that's how the witches of eastwick was born we all were in love with the story the story of empowerment for the women uh their journey <clears throat> and how they sort of found their magic and in the West End, it was uh, Arnez, Lucy Arnez, and Maria Freeman, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, and Joanna Riding, and uh, Ian McShane played Daryl Van Horn, and Rosie Ash, the amazing, you know, she was the original Carlotta, yeah, 
in Phantom of the Opera played Felicia. Uh, and it was just a, it was just an astounding thing to walk into, you know, talk about just, oh my gosh, I'll never forget it. You know, walking into the theater Royal Drury Lane where uh, Miss Saigon had just, they had just closed down Miss Saigon and they were putting our show in. So that's how that happened. And Eric Schaefer, who directed it in London, was of course artistic director of Signature. So that's how we, we came to Signature. Um, is there any, I mean, I'm being a geek now. I've never worked in the West End. Uh, I mean, I, I did work at the West End Dinner Theater here in Alexandria, but. Um, <laughs> that's good. That works. Yeah, I mean, well, that's close. But yeah. is there like, is there some sort of difference in like the budget or the way things are produced in the West End versus New York? Like the way that, um, is it a different government subsidy with um, producing shows or anything? You know, I am really, I, gosh, I wish I knew the answer to that. I'm not sure I do. I, I do believe, I mean, just from the sheer size of the country, the talent pool is a little, uh, I mean, it's smaller. There are fewer people in, in the country. You know, it's just a numbers game. They, the people who are good are amazing and they work all the time. So there's a little difference there. I think the, um, the unions, it's good. And it's like good news and bad news. The unions are easier to work with and less and require <clears throat> less upfront investment. I think it's, it's easier to finance a show. It's easier to do something new over there than it is here. The bad news is it's easier to do something over there than it is here. And therefore, people are probably not making the same you know, living, doing it. So, right. So it's, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I think there's some, I think it's a one, oh, God, I, I love it over there. You know, I would, uh, anytime I, you know, we can work over there, I'm, I'm delighted and, and pleased and honored. Now, are you calling us from New York right now? No, actually, my husband and I have a place in Provincetown. And oh, nice! We're we're, yeah, I, I, it's pretty awesome. We 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 have the uh, a place here that we're working from in the summer and fall months, uh, and just at, and and during lockdown, it, it that's when we got it. It was like, you know what? What we always talked about getting a little place in P Town, and. Um, and it just seemed like, well, there's no time like the present, you know? Yeah. It, it yeah. just sort of changed a lot. A lot of things. I, I'm curious for you guys, what, what changed, you know, what became more important for you during lockdown? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I basically took my day job office and smushed it down into a room in the basement. <laughs> the spare room is gone. The spare room is gone. The room there's is gone. No room for guests. Um and Matthews, I mean, he teaches piano and he basically transformed his entire, you know, classes into online here on the main floor. And we decided to leave the top floor where the bedroom is and everything just for, you know, for yeah. sleep only. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's strange in our world is we actually, uh, luckily enough, we got busier. Yeah. Yeah. Now, see, that happened with a lot of people. So how, wh I'm sorry, I, I know you're supposed to be asking me questions, but how, how did you get busier? Well, my piano studio went from maybe 20 students to 35. Amazing. Per week, I started teaching uh, creativity, uh, cultivating creativity mm -hmm. online for adults. I was teaching playwriting for adults. Uh, Steve and I both were doing camp on, um, 
on Zoom. We were both Amazing. we're writing a brand new show based on the Jack the Ripper's The Five. Uh-huh. Wow. And um started our own podcast and um yeah. yeah. And you've been doing this. How long you guys been doing this? This has been fairly new. We've been doing this February. now for, since February. February. And this is like episode like 55? 54. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Well, Feels so like 55. What a bunch of slackers, man. I know, right? <laughs> well, you know, Matthew and I write together. Uh, you know, we did an insane, uh, we wrote five shows in five years um, as a Amazing. part of a a challenge kind of thing. And we are going to get Stephen King before podcast number 150. You want, what? what's this now? Stephen King. <laughs> oh, in the next 100 episodes. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, that was random. Anyway, the, uh, the five shows in five years, well, that happened because Matthew and I just have, because we have been together for 23 years, we mm. have a shorthand with each other where we know what each other is thinking. And, I think the reason we're able to write so quickly now are those shows totally 100% like finished. No show ever is, but, but it was a a great challenge. And I think the reason it worked is because we spend so much time together and talking constantly about it. It's like if you locked up a writing team, you know, in the same house all the time. Like we have to write a Christmas show that we just found out about two days ago for this Christmas. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And it's probably doesn't seem daunting, really, because, you know, you'll be able to get it done. You'll have the hours to do it. Yeah, we're no longer afraid to fail because we know we're going to. And we know that <laughs> it takes a lot of the fear out of it, does it? When you know well, you know, we know that if we do something crappy, that we'll just throw it out and start again. Sure. Yeah, exactly. I call that the puke version. I mean, the worst you could do is just puke it out, right? And, yeah, and then, that was and then, a crappy song. Exactly. I, well, that was, well, I'm glad I did that, though, because I learned this X, Y, and Z. And you always get a chance to rewrite. I've always found it. I always say you write the shitty version first, you know? I Exactly. And you know what? Who had a great line for that was... Um, uh, Sam Mendez, actually, who did who did the fix at the Dalmar Warehouse, he he directed it, and he could sense that I was like having anxiety about rewriting or rewriting a new section. He goes, "Just give me the bad movie version," and I thought, "Wow, what a gracious thing to say! Just the yeah. bad movie version, then we'll work it out, we'll sort it." You know? Yeah, I remember being in the fix. This the I guess the second mounting at Signature. Right. That was what two thousand fifteen. Yeah, and there was a little bit of pressure uh, for the cast from D.C. because those show had been so well-received already in D.C. that everyone knew that they were coming to see, you know, a terrific show. And here we were like, okay, well, I guess we have to, like, uh, make sure it's good because you guys already know it's good. (laughs) And Washington is such the perfect atmosphere for that show, Um, it being political theater in a way. Um, And we had a great cast. I mean, I did not get to see the first one. Um, But the- Cheryl. Cheryl. I know, right. Oh, oh, and that guy, Stephen Gregory Smith. Stephen Gregory Smith. Yeah, yeah. Who had like two lines, (laughs) but was a big presence. Was a, 
big preface. Hey, listen, no, wasn't the cleaning house is no small thing. That's that's correct. I'm I'm just joking. I <laughs> love that, that is no small thing. <laughs> I loved that role because I got to do so much without saying a word. Yeah. <laughs> that's i think that i think peter is actually my favorite role in that whole thing he just gets to come on throw down a few times and then leave uh -huh. <laughs> was was our production in the new space at signature versus the old space was there a change in the size of the cast or was it the same you know i i think it was around the same yeah uh i think it was around the same there was um it was even pretty close to the the same everything. I mean, there were some rewrites as, as happens always, you know, when you're getting ready to have a, a good a go at it, knowing that, knowing it was a signature, knowing it was, you know, you all, I mean, there's, there's a certain thing that, you know, you kind of go, Oh, good. Well, we can try this. We always wanted to try this, but you wouldn't do that with everybody. You yeah. Know? And uh, so, you know, and it's sort of, <laughs> You all are fear, and by you all, I mean just the talent pool in DC, and I mean, and it specifically there gathered at Signature, was fearless. I mean, you know, it could throw stuff at you guys, and it was just, you know, you knew it was going to come back at least I, well done. I think know? Matt Gardner was the choreographer. Yes, and yeah. I remember the opening being. I kept thinking to myself when we were learning the music, like, how are they going to do this opening? And then when it was so stylized with us just having a a pad and a piece of uh, and a pencil or whatever. It was so cool and inviting into this world mm -hmm. of intoxication and drugs and politics and stuff. It was so neat. All the good stuff. All yeah. the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was, no, it was, yeah, you guys were amazing. You're amazing. Uh, do you chat. write everything on the piano? Um, you know, I have a, that's the, thank you for asking that. That's, um, you know, the piano is my main instrument. Uh, I, when I really want it to be melodically driven, I sit back and sing it first. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't, uh, because the, on the piano, what happens and <clears throat> this, I'm telling on myself and, and, you know, is, is that I'll sit down and my hands go to my favorite old places. Uh, but if I, if I sort of get loosened up and when I sort of feel into what the character would do or what the character would sing, it, it opens it up and I can always find the chords, you know, in, in, uh, you know, that's, that's not a problem. Right. I don't need the piano to think, but I will, I mean, I will go to the piano to write, write down and create the score so that others can sing it. But, but if I, you, if your if your fingers are doing the walking before your vocals, then your vocals are trying to fit into your fingers. Absolutely. That's a, that's a really great way of putting it. Because uh, I, I, you know, come on. I mean, we, we all have our little tricks, right? I mean, even vocally, I have my little tricks. So I, you know, my first, my degree was in vocal performance. So I, I will, I will do those things too. And I have a, I love writing course for tenors, you know, for instance. So there's a, you know, I love writing for all voices. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, I think if, when I get sit down and I, if I start with my hands on the piano now, that said, if there's something that's really like needs a motor under it, if it needs to be a comp pattern that drives the song, then I'll play with that for hours on the piano, just to find something that, uh, you know, kind of a hook that drives the song there, you know, it's not necessarily a melod, you know, part of the melody or what the, the singers sing. Um, 
There's um, uh, it depends on who I'm writing with too. I'm sure. writing I'm writing some stuff with Saida Garrett right now, who uh, was the lyricist for Man in the Mirror for Michael Jackson. She also wrote uh, "Love You I Do" for the New Dream Girls, and you know, she's she's a wonderful lyricist. But we work music first, and uh, with it, almost all of my other collaborators too. A one, it's always been lyrics first. Do you do you have like a crazy story about one song that either came out of you in the middle of the night or like you're on the train and doing a rewrite or that one song that was like, ah, oh, I didn't think it was going to make it. And it did. Is there one song in your life that will have like, I, I got a few for you. <laughs> <laughs> I got a number of them. I mean, actually talk about, okay, cleaning house, uh, the fix. Uh, John gave me the lyric. And we did it one day and I remember coming up, it was something, it was just something real. Oh God, I, I, I forget. I mean, I don't, I don't remember it. This was like back in 1996 or something like that. So this is a few years ago. Right. It's been a minute. So there, the, the, but I remember kind of going, John left for the day and you know, one thing we do is we show up for work. We, you know, we keep hours. We even during the pandemic, him and, you know, Cleveland and me here in Provincetown, we show up for work. And that the, uh, and I just remember he left and I was, <laughs> and I was mopping my floor <laughs> as you do, you know, it's just like, oh, just doing life stuff, you know? And then I was thinking, this just has to be something different. And um, so I started playing with the rhythm of it. You know, you know, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And and so it wasn't until I was showering the next morning and getting ready for work that it sort of hit me of what it was. And then then that was that was that that became cleaning house. It was something different musically before that. The other thing, and, and I remember rehearsing that the first time in London. Do you all know John Berriman? He was he played Cal in London. Oh yeah. And they rehearsed the the song, and he he just sort of like very dryly turned to me and says, "What drugs you do?" <laughs> and I said, "None." At the time, that was true. Right. And, you know, God knows we've all had our we all have our past, but that that at that time that you know it's like no, just just it was a moment, you know. The other one is uh, Dirty Laundry from which is a Beeswick that I wanted to toss out and redo. There's uh, a cleaning theme amongst these. Yeah, <laughs> there is, right? Yeah, those are those are my big big hits. My the med, med, I'm going to do a medley of my hit uh, cleaning <laughs> uh, cleaning out, but Dirty Laundry was definitely. I felt like it was so simple. You know, and I thought, oh, I'm so much more a composer than this. You know, I can't possibly offer up, you know, and it's actually I it was a moment of inspiration. Now I see, you know, and, and realize it was, um, you know, the, the, the dance with the devil. Uh, no, not Dirty Laundry. Yeah, it was Dance with the Devil that the one that I felt was so simplistic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I was. Dance dirty. It's a D word. Uh, now, do you do you also do your vocal arranging around the your melodies? I do the vocal arranging. Yeah, I love to do the vocal arranging. I I grew up as a baby musical director, uh, arranging backing vocals. 
you know, for recording sessions and stuff like that. So my favorite thing to do is vocal arrangements. One of them. I mean, can you tell? I really love to do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's I mean, all fun. You know, yeah. what's yeah, not I mean, to love? Yeah. I mean, I guess if you don't love it, why, why in the world would you do it? Well, you know, there is that. I mean, I was just talking to someone uh, the other day and, and um, I think you really have to be in love with the work. You can't be in love with, you know, I think you can't be in love with the perceived glamour and, and we're, we've all been around enough to know that it's hard work. It's there's, you know, the glamour, if there is any that happens is momentary and short-lived. It's captured in like a, a still photography. Yeah, exactly. If, precisely. It's in a gallery on someone's website. Yeah. That's the glamour. It's and And so you have to really, I think, um, there has to be something that in you that comes alive, that takes flight, that invigorates you and lets you know you're alive as you do it, whatever work you do in the world, whatever we bring into the world. And if it doesn't do it, find the thing that does. Yeah, that's very beautifully said. And I think a lot of people sometimes get lost trying to find that um, in life, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, theater can be very um, deceiving sometimes because, you know, you are a part of a very warm community and family. Mm -hmm. The after party makes you feel like that you are never, ever not going to be a star. Right, right. Yeah. And then, of course, like every show, it closes and you have to keep continuing on and find that drive and make it fill, fulfill your life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. beyond the after party. Yeah, yeah. It's beyond a promise you made to yourself one day. You know, there's, there, there are things that, you know, you look and you go, that was an aspiration, what, you know, 20 years ago, this is what I wanted to do. Well, does that thought, does that drive, does that aspiration still, still, like I, you know, we said, bring you, bring you to life, despite whether you're doing a show or not, would this be, would I write music, whether I get produced or not? Right. That's the telling of the tale really right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know Stephen is probably dying to talk about a show that I had a program for. <laughs> I just wanted to mention, yes, I did. Um, uh, so in looking you up on the inner tubes, uh, I found out that we have another thing in common other than the fact that we both wrote uh, zombie themed music. Right, right. Um, you at eight years old were cast in a professional production of Oliver. <sighs> I was. And as was I. Oh, my goodness. That started my life, started my theater. Like It was the thing, right? What it was, was it about it, it for you? Um, are you freaking kidding? You're the center of attention. It's named after you. All the adults like <laughs> fawn over you. I wanted to be um, an adult since I was eight. Right. Be because <laughs> the coolest people I knew were the adult cast members of that show. I bet. And they kind of were my role models for life and mm. and just set me on a path. I have to tell you that the same year that we did the fix together, 2015, uh -huh. I did a production of Oliver as one of the adults at Arena Stage. Mm. And the young boy who played Oliver had his 10th birthday during the run. And as we sang happy birthday to this little boy, I looked at him and I just felt such a moment of like, 
Oh boy. Wow. Here we go. Here we go. Anyway, I saw that and it leapt out of me. I was like, son of a B, we have that (laughs) in common too. It was a moment for me. I'll tell you, uh, you know, it, it, I was sitting there. I wasn't playing Oliver, but it was still, I mean, I was Oliver on like the second matinee or something like that. You know, I, I was the, I was the understudy Oliver, <clears throat> but it was, I was one of just one of the boys. And I, um, I remember it was a crystalline moment for me. I was sitting there and we had the vocal sides, right? And I, I'm eight years old. And this is the first time I knew I had people around me who were singing harmonies and singing out full voice. And that was the the adults, right? They there was the the adult chorus, and we were doing like um papa and you know, food, glorious food, and all of those things. And I sat there and my body was shaking, you know, that whole thing of the first time you hear people around you singing harmony well. Yeah. And it's a magical, come on, it's a religious experience. If it's not, it just don't do it. But it was that, it was just sitting there. And I remember looking at the vocal side book, I kid you not, thinking, I want one of these of my own someday. And I don't even know if I knew what I was saying. Uh, Except, okay, now let's come back and let's connect this. Opening night, The Fix in London, I got to meet... um, Shoot, his name went right out. The guy who wrote Oliver. Oh, Lionel Bart. Lionel Bart. Uh, Cameron introduced me to Lionel Bart. And I oh said, my gosh. I said, when I was a little kid, I did Oliver, and I wish that I would have one of these of my own one day. And that was opening night for The Fix in London. And um, that was a pretty magical moment. Full circle That's moment. so beautiful. Um. But to segue through that, too, you you mentioned earlier you love uh, vocal arranging for tenors. I do. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I do, and I have a, a soft spot in my heart for for you guys. I call them I call them my my range free freaks uh, that are they they can sing high, they can sing low, and you are one of them, Stephen. Oh, thank you. I was going to say that brings us to. Brother Russia. Brother Russia and Prince Felix. Is it Felix? Was that yeah. the name of that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Prince this is what you call the good life. Felix Yusupov. <laughs> um, just, what was your song? The Good Life. The Good Life, yeah. Um, can you sing Natasha's song? I, yes, in her key. Um, <laughs> crush me? Crush me, yes. Crush me with a chair. Um, just, on the chair. I mean, that was incredible. I can still see it. Yeah. I can still see. So just a little bit of happy news for you, Dana. Uh, Amy McWilliams, who you know. Yeah. She is my coworker in my day job. She got me my day job. Um, and I can still see her in my mind's eye with her headdress on and oh her God. cigarette singing <laughs> smoke. <laughs> and how terrifying she was. It was like, amazing. It- it Those was costumes, a, they were amazing costumes, weren't they? Yeah, it was such a like caterpillar Alice in Wonderland moment Yeah, of her. That's all I could think of. It was amazing. I loved that show so much. Oh, thank um, you. And you guys but, were amazing. You were amazing. I, I hope we have another opportunity. I mean, it's not a great day for shows with Russia in the title. Right. <laughs> it's just... 
not, you know, it's a little, it's a bit of a hard sell, but you know, someday, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, so we, we had a blast doing that. I played a, for those who did not see, um, it's based on a, a tr theater troupe in Omsk, um, that is putting on the, the, the story of, um, Rasputin. Rasputin. Right. Yeah. And, so it's the theatricality is is very uh, latent, you know, everywhere. It's there's there's bolts of fabric as rivers. There's you know, uh, there were these lights that were on the stage that had mason jars over them, which looked incredible. Oh yeah, that's, um, that was amazing too, wasn't it? It's just absolutely. so so simple and suggestive and just strung lights, you yeah. know on on strings that were like mismatched somewhere out like it was perfect um yeah. and the costumes were out of this world i had to play across was it frank it was frank labowitz yes oh great i had to play a cross-dressing murderous uh prince <laughs> one of the juiciest roles i ever have gotten to play <laughs> um and sing like high q flats high q flats yeah. yes and you nailed it every time every oh. time that was such a great scene i was just such full of everything right i mean you know the smoke the effects the high cues the everything you what was rachel awesome. what was rachel's song oh the witch um child, oh, of, the child of the wood yeah yeah it's funny we were just talking to joe barrows uh the other day yeah joe was like he was in that with jody wasn't he and he was uh yeah he was her assistant yeah in, and assistant to eric um right and he brought up Child of the Wood like first thing it was like, oh, my God, that song with the witch in the woods was so good. <laughs> and Ray, come on. And Rachel sang the pudding out of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody's voice in that show was like a, a trumpet, if you, you will. Know, you know, and Doug Krieger, Natasha, mm -hmm. all of them were just wonderful. Yes. Um, and Kevin McAllister, that was, that was, a. I think that was the first I met Kevin. Chris Mueller. Chris, um, yes. Russell Sunday. Oh my Tracy God. Oliveira. That's right. That's right. She's, oh, she, her vodka was one of my favorite things. Hysterical. Oh my God. Is the name right. of the song. Like her, her, you know, she sang it so well. Kevin's now going to be in uh, Once on This Island. No, no, no. Oh, Carolina Change. Uh, that's being revived uh, where? In New York. Awesome. Didn't he yeah. do Come From Away as well? Yeah. Like yeah. he just zipped out and he just, you know, just very casually goes out and does a Broadway show and comes, comes back. back. Yeah. <laughs> and then comes back to Baltimore, you know, right. <laughs> just like John Waters. You know, so casual. Um, and yeah, he's going to be the dryer in Carolina Change. So Incredible. it is, it is. Um, Dana, how did you find your wonderful partner, John? Uh, I know that when you, I know that sometimes when writers get together, they don't know if there's going to be a future past the one show that they're working right. on, but you guys have really figured out a wonderful magic to your system. How did you guys meet? We met, we were both going to Ohio State University <clears throat> and I just remember hearing some friends in the hallway of the music school, as you do, you know, uh, they were bandying about Sondheim lyrics and sort of like doing witticisms with them. And I thought, God, this is amazing. I mean, I can write you a snappy show tune, but you know, words, you know, I sort of draw the line at just sort of being facile with words that way. So I always admire it. And John was one of those people. And I was actually introduced to him 
to him through another composer who was writing with him. And he's, you know, Dana writes music and blah, 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 blah. And uh, then I, I just out of the, I, you know, I, I the whole, you know, the way everything transpired sort of, sort of leaves me at this point. This is over 30 years ago. This is 1980, in the middle of the 80s. And uh, John, and so he, he says, hey, would you like to write a show? And so we wrote a show. We, we knew there was a children's theater in town in Columbus, Ohio. And we did, we were doing it specifically for them. We decided we were gonna, and it was, it was Charlotte's Web. We wrote the entire show. And then we realized, we found out very sadly that we couldn't get the rights. So we had this whole show sitting there and he says, well, let's do another. And so we figured out one that we could do the rights for. And that was the, uh, the reluctant dragon. And we did that for players theater Columbus, uh, which I think is now defunct. If I'm, I think it's something else now. And right after we did that, we did a great successful run of that. Um, then the guy who wrote the book, Stephen Anderson submitted it to one of the publishing companies, I think dramatic publishing company, and they decided to license it and publish it. And I thought, wow, this is kind of cool. Maybe, maybe this is something we could do. And so then we started talking about doing another right after that. And that was zombie prom. Mm. And so we wrote, we were working on zombie prom in the late eighties. I had moved to, at a certain point I had moved back, not moved back, but I had moved to Florida and I was doing musical direction in Florida. Um, and we wrote it via mailbox. This is when we, we sent cassettes to one another via the U.S. Postal Service. And uh, then he would, on spring break, he was teaching school. He would come to Florida and hang out for spring break. And then we would write like crazy guys. And then he'd go back to Ohio and teach second grade. And I stayed in Florida and music directed. And then eventually we got a production of zombie prom in Florida. And from that came the off Broadway show. The John, John and I, it, it's interesting, I guess, when you think about it, I mean, 30, you know, yeah, well over 30 years now that we have done this. And I, here, here's some things I can tell you about that is, um, we're always honest with each other. We always show up. Uh, I can tell you in 30, over 30 years, you know, John maybe was late for something twice. Uh, it's just, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, just, there's just a knowing someone is there kind of thing. So you, someone you can depend on. And there's, you get so much done that way. And he's very much like a workman. I, one of my favorite things is like when somebody says, I have writer's block. And I go, okay, that's fine. I, I mean, I told my heart, my compassion goes to you. But, you know, truck drivers don't get up in the morning and go, you know, I'm just not feeling it. Right. But, you know, they don't get truck driver's block. Right. They go and get their butt in the seat and they drive. They may drive well some days and other days they may not, but they do their job. And it's like, what am I here for? I'm here to write music and spread my delightful personality from person to person in the world. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just, you know, that's what I know. That's what I'm here to do. And there's, yeah. there's some, there's some, I don't know. I think there's some peace of mind in that. And, and it, it lets me, it allows me to do, to fail. Just like, yeah. I love when you said, we're not afraid to fail now because we know we are, you know, that's when we learn the most, right? 
Yeah, you know, I I, I took on a journey to write some, cre- uh, just to read some creative uh, books this uh, pandemic year. Uh, I'm not a very good reader, so it was a, a very big challenge for me because my brain is just wired to kind of keep thinking about the next thing and not really focus. Uh-huh. Uh, and the reason I mentioned Stephen King is I'm currently reading his on writing. Oh, um, you know, I heard that's great. It is great. And boy, do I feel like a slacker when I read it and think, oh, gosh, OK, I guess I should get to work. <laughs> um, but, you know, I remember reading the book Big Magic by mm-hmm. Elizabeth yeah. Gilbert. And uh, one of the things that she had said, speaking about, you know, people who feel like I, I have writer's block. or whatever, She at one point had mentioned something about. You know, we can't really live on passion, full throttle all the time. Sometimes you got to just kind of creep back into curiosity and just be playful with what you do. So you don't feel the pressure of always being at 100 percent. Right. That's a lot to put on someone. Yeah. And I put on yourself. Yeah. And I try to keep that in mind. You know, sometimes me and Steven will pull out a coloring book and just kind of color and talk. Yeah. And that's okay. Well, and then things will come, right? That's that's when the there's a wonderful God, what's I now I'm gonna mess up the guy's name I wrote it, but it's called Flow. And uh it it it, it talks about you know that moment. I'm I'm really into the sort of the neurobiology of how we create in our brains. And uh, that's one of my, you know, sort of I'm an armchair, you know, neuroscientist kind of thing. And you know, we have to have that relaxed that relaxed energy about it. It, it you know, there, we can't think our ways into way into being highly creative. It, it's a feeling. Yeah. It's a feeling. And find, finding yourself connecting to that feeling. And, and that's what I'm saying. Sometimes I just kick back and I go, well, what, what would, what, what would that character, what would come out of that character's mouth? Right. You know, it's gonna it's there are gonna be things that are gonna sound right and things that don't so it's so much easier to make a decision about. And Dana, you also host Take It From the Top, uh, your own podcast where you're uh, featuring top artists, arts of professionals giving aspiring arts and, and advice to people. Uh how does that work? Well, you know, I did for a while. I did it for a couple of years. Um, I have since stopped doing it. I realized that it just was a it was a lot of work and, yeah. and you know I and it, so my kudos to you guys it it, it takes it, it's another part of my brain that I at the point I got to a point where I couldn't afford to to uh, it wasn't being easy and joyful anymore and so that that is something that I decided to put on hiatus for a while it might well, come we, back maybe tonight is uh, our um, advice from a motivational speaker about how <laughs> why me and Steven should continue, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you, I think if it if it brings you joy, if it's something, and I know what I love is that it's it, you guys made this dead easy to do, you know, and that's very that's very important. I just didn't want anyone to feel like they had to. I wanted no visual. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's that's out of selfishness. One, two. Um, I know everyone just just concentrating on the sound of someone's voice is so wonderful. I miss phone calls. You know, everybody mm-hmm. wants to zoom and FaceTime, and I'm like, oh god, I don't always look like this. Um, well, also, there's you know, there's an intimacy to being just hearing one another's voice. There's 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 a 
easy. I think it's easier to connect sometimes. There are less distractions. Absolutely. Oh, I, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, I, I'm looking at the time and I see we're running a little long here, but I do want to get to two other projects sure. briefly. Before we wrap it up. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, so you came back to Signature recently um, and you worked on Blackbeard. Blackbeard, yeah. Um, can you tell us what the, what, where you found the inspiration to write his story and what that was kind of like for you? Well, it, it, it sort of grew organically, like a lot of these things do. First of all, I, you know, we just sort of love the idea of pirates and uh, the, the, the idea of sea shanties, uh, the fantasy that's possible there. I don't know. There's a theme there as well. We, we sort of like heightened reality. And um, John and I, it's interesting. Okay, so here's the connection. John and I were working on uh, spec. We were writing some songs for a show that had a lot of seafaring stuff in it. It was like big, adventurous, you know, uh, what I would call nautical, you know. And I, I love that. I write, I, I love, you know, I love underscoring, you know, films and stuff like that. And this was an opportunity just to write big, bombastic stuff. And uh, Eric was... Uh, four time the director of note for it for that and uh that's sort of how we got pulled into it and then uh we all sort of bowed out of the at the, the project at different times and but we still had this great sort of piratical fun stuff and um eric just called T john one day and he said john you know I think we need to write a pirate musical. He says, there's never been a really good pirate musical. And he says, you know, that stuff you guys wrote for this other, other project was just so much fun. And so that's sort of how that was born. And then the next day, as John does, John is, John is kind of ridiculously talented too. I have to tell you, I mean, he's such a joy to write with. And so the next day <laughs> he had this full blown story and it was about the last the last pirate, Blackbeard. And it was this, this you know, 100% uh, true tall tale of, you know, Blackbeard's last adventure and having to travel the world in three days to get, you know, all of these things together. It was a journey. It was a Trek, a Trek musical. And you also, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't you kind of, have you already written this or are you in the process of writing something to do with Frida Kahlo? I did. Oh, you know, uh, thanks for asking. I, I wrote the music for a musical about her and her life. And uh, that that's been in the hopper for a number of years, you know, uh, and sort of sad. I don't mean to bring the room down. My collaborator on that just passed away. He, he had um, a brain uh, tumor, uh, cancer in the brain. And so it's really, who knows what'll happen with that project, but it was just a wonderful experience. Frida Kahlo is an amazing artistic presence still in the world. And mm -hmm. it was wonderful to write about uh, mm -hmm. music for her life. I always tell all of my students, you know, the arts is the only subject that combines every subject. Mm. 
And it's so true, even you listening to you talking about the ocean for Blackbeard, you know, the ocean captures every element of loneliness and grandeur, of mm -hmm. feeling separated, uh, but yet together, of being beautiful, but also scary. And there's just so many beautiful things about the, the, the water, you know, um, symbolic imagery of that story. So that's really cool. Oh, yeah, thanks for that's beautiful it, it really is it's all those things isn't it yeah and you know that's what we do is we take all of us take these sort of um elements and they come together and they create this once in a lifetime moment of magic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know we all know that when the lights come up and everyone starts you know the violin goes in a case and you see people leaving you think well would you to say Stephen? Did you say, used to say something like, well, there goes the magic or yep, there, there goes the magic. <laughs> there goes the magic. Well, you know, also, Pete, we are starved in this world for an emotional experience. And I believe that we are the we are the ones who are lucky to be able to share an emotional experience with others and theater. Well, it is so good to hear your voice Ah, thank you. It's mutual. mutual I was just going to add before guys. he jumped in and did that, that, you know, Matthew just bought a shirt, you know, off the internet that is like white on one side. And then on the other side is half of Frida Kahlo's face oh, neat. in in the self-portrait that she did. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. And it's just it made me the second he got it, it made me think. Wasn't Dana writing a show about her? It was not just off the internet. It was from an exclusive <laughs> boutique <laughs> called Amazon. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That's that's the that only little place thing. Off these days. <laughs> All right, Matthew. Do you want to? We have three uh, final questions for you, okay. Dana. So, Matthew, go yes. ahead. Stephen has insisted that this is season one. I guess we're still in season one. Like we're the crown. I'm not sure what's happening. <laughs> But in season one, we have asked three questions before we go. And the first question is, during the pandemic, lots of people took to learning brand new things that they never had time to learn before, languages and cooking skills. Did you take on any special learning? I did. I received, I, I worked to earn a new certification in coaching. Uh, it's called the positive intelligence. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a certified positive intelligence coach. I'm the 42nd one in the, in the world. Uh, it's a brand new sort of thing that was uh, brought about by a, a man named Shirzad Shamin, who wrote a book called Positive Intelligence, of all things. And so I'm one of his approved coaches. Um, so a new certification. And then it's, I, just like you guys, I've been writing my butt off uh just new stuff new stuff new stuff new stuff um second question is did you have time or did you take time to catch up on some of your favorite series that normally you wouldn't sit and watch all of the episodes yes we one thing we did early in the pandemic is we started from episode one of Shit's creek and went all the way through again yes <laughs> Right. <laughs> so good. Oh my God! Her it's audition just, for the uh, jazz oh gals. Oh my God! Her yes. For the jazz gals and oh, yeah. their oh. their production of what cabaret. The and yeah. and yes and and Alexis audition for cabaret. Come yes. on. Yes. A little yeah. bit Alexis. Yes. Yeah. I love cute, huge yacht. 
<laughs> I, I love the um, the episode where John Johnny Rose stops by the jazz gals and he answers a question of like, uh, well, I could sing a little. I, I suppose. <laughs> it's brilliant. And it's oh God, she says, what does she say? What to what do we owe this off book sojourn? <laughs> Just you, All you the know Moira-isms, they, right? I mean, yes, yeah, and you know they use some sort of you know dictionary to give her all these obscure words. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, did you get to watch did you get to see me broad church? No, I haven't. Did, did you catch the crown? Yes, indeed. All the seasons, all the things. Yeah, it's you brilliant. know, I sat down and I was like, okay, what's the big deal? I'm so tired of it. And then of course, you know, I love history. Oh, well then you love this, I bet. Right. So of course, like every episode, you're like, wait, did that happen? Did somebody really sneak into okay, the Okay, so so okay, this is the thing I this is the thing we we have noticed when we were watching it. Uh, one either Andrew or myself always ended up going to the Google mid 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 you know episode to verify right to yeah. figure out yeah yeah, yeah. And, and was it true yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Of it, most of it was it was slightly fictionalized i think a little bit in order to get a lot of plot points in but yeah gee, it, it all happened i guess and finally um <laughs> we are uh matt is also producing our friend susan Derry's holiday album it's called i wish it so i have producer at sun records <laughs> no just nevermore records and um it's it's uh the, the what is it that's a blitzstein song i believe so mark yeah mark blitzstein and it's uh we it's been, been making us talk about wishes a lot and what mm -hmm. a wish really is and it's a manifestation it's mm -hmm. a you know and so we started asking all of our guests, if you had one wish in the world, top of your head, what would it be? Oh, um, I wish you joy. Yeah, just joy. That's a happiness and joy. You know, it, it really is a, it's a habit. Yep. Yep. Awesome. I love that. It's beautiful. Um, Dana, it's been our pleasure to talk to you. Um, uh, hopefully with the world seemingly cross fingers, <laughs> returning to normal. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we may be doing sort of like a wish reveal here in Arlington of all the wishes together in one evening to create sort of a consciousness blessing for a new world. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, details to follow. But um, awesome. we... We hope to uh, see you or cross paths with you in some way at some point in the new world. And uh, we, we look forward to that. Thank you so much for your time. We much really love. appreciate it. Oh, thank you guys so much. This has been an honor and a treat. And I just love you both to bits. Thank we you. Love you too. We love you right back. We're coming to P-Town. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye. such a sweet guy that was it was great to talk to him and catch up and just hear about his journey and projects um we both loved working with him when he was here in town and i had the luxury of working with him in new york 
for about a week uh, a few years ago. Um, so thank you, Dana. Thank you for coming on and can't wait to catch up with you again soon. Um, if you want to know more about us, you can always visit our website, www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. Um, find us on Facebook under Connor and Smith, again, with an E-R. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It really helps us out a lot, and we'd appreciate it if you would take the time to do so. And as we always say, turn your heart into art. Bye, everybody. Bye.